Hey guys, before we get started on the episode, I just wanted to make sure that you guys knew that our new book, Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place by Ascension Press, goes on pre-order July 25th this year. We're really excited about it because we think it's going to help not only those who are just starting families. In fact, some dioceses are already picking it up to use as a marriage prep book, but also those people who are in the middle of building up their domestic church. Dave, Pamela, Haley, and I, we give practical examples of what you can start doing today in order to start raising saints. Saints come from the home and not homes from thousands of years ago, but from homes today and hopefully your home. So here's my ask. Over the last six years, Dave and I have done the Catholic Man Show, largely in part through the support that we've received. We've never taken a penny from the Catholic Man Show's Patreon account. We've rolled all that money back into the show to make it to what it is today. Uh, We don't typically have hard asks uh, for us to support the show because we think that there's a lot of other great shows out there that you can support. Um, If you want to support our show, we obviously would, would love that. We have a lot of awesome thank you gifts for supporting the show, like a Catholic Man Show Glencairn glass, a Catholic Man Show beer glasses. We have a lot of different things that we provide as thank you gifts for uh, supporting our show. But we know that that's not why you support the show. You don't support the show to get the free stuff, but you support us because um, you believe in the mission. But we, but we do have a need now, and that, that is to help develop a marketing campaign to promote our book with Ascension Press. So if you've ever listened to the show and you've been kind of on the fence about supporting us on patreon.com slash the Catholic Man Show, I ask that you prayerfully consider because we would really like to uh, team up with Ascension Press and have a, a, a good marketing rollout for this book. Uh, we think it's going to touch a lot of lives, and, and we would love your, your support. So... If you could, go to patreon.com slash thecatholicmanshow. Uh, you can go to thecatholicmanshow.com as well and check out our, our book cover. It'll be coming out July 25th. We're very excited. Uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. Cheers. Warning. The Catholic Man Show contains high levels of manliness. It's simple, really. You either want to grow in virtue and holiness or you want to be a sissy, whiny baby. If you choose to move forward, grab your whiskey glass because the Catholic Man Show is starting right now. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side, so raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting in studio. It feels good to be back in the studio. We haven't been here in a while. With David Niles, best friend and best friend of Juan Posada on the buttons. We have a great guest uh, this evening. Well, this morning, whether you're listening to it in the morning, I don't know. But, but we, right now it's morning. But right now it is morning. For the real people here. That's right. Dr. Kevin Vost. Vost, Vost. That, you told me that's how to remember it. Because I always said Vost. Did you say Vost too? No. I, th- I told you. I think it's Vost. Because mm. I think that's what I've heard people say. But, but it's, it is Vost. Yeah, I will say when I'm announced on different programs, I probably am announced Vost over 50% of the time. Okay. Slightly under 50 is Vost. But yeah, we, we go by Vost. I was going to say, too, I love your that little intro dialogue. It makes you want to hit the crab and, and In glare. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. It's, it's great to have you. I can remember uh, the first time I was introduced to you was probably about six, seven, 
years ago at the Oklahoma Catholic Men's Conference down in Norman. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, that's one of the best men's conferences in the in the nation, um, in my opinion. Dave and I have been to a lot of men's conferences. It has over a thousand to twelve hundred men. Uh, the the facility is great. The it's ran very very well. Yeah, uh, but you were a speaker there. Yeah, if I remember, I was talking about the seven deadly sins, and I and I did a demonstration, not of the deadly sins themselves, but how to memorize them. Yeah, I, I, did, demonst- I did a demonstration of the deadly <laughs> oh, <that's> sins. Okay. <laughs> Don't do these things, guys. Yeah. <laughs> For instance, this is number one. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get a volunteer? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it's great to have you here. You did a, a talk last night uh, in the Diocese of Tulsa for the Alquin Institute. You can go to alquininstitute.org and for St. Michael Catholic Radio um, on the art of memory. Yeah. Um, and it was very well received. We had a, a, a great participation and we thought it'd be great to have you on the show to talk a little bit more about said topic. Well, I'm happy to be here. That's one of my favorite topics. It's, it was one of my areas of specialization in my studies as a psychologist. Then when I came back into the church, it's become one of my pet areas too, because two of my favorite great saints, St. Saint Albert the Great and St. Thomas Aquinas, were experts in this area. Yeah, you, so you were you were a, an atheist for, for 25 years or so, if, if I remember correctly. So, And you were an avid reader, so you, mm-hmm. were, you were reading through a lot of probably the... Um, the modern philosophers would be my guess, uh, Nietzsche and those type of people. Is that what kind of put you on that track? Well, well, you're right, but it started a little bit less loft in a less lofty way. Okay, I was a weightlifter and a big fan of the muscle magazines of the era. Mm-hmm. And there was a top bodybuilder in the '70s, a man named Mike Menzer. He was expected to be the next guy to take over from Arnold Schwarzenegger. It didn't quite work out that way, but he was the first guy to win the Mr. Universe with a perfect score. And he's really, really bright man. And I learned these different high-intensity strength techniques from him, uh, but he also liked to dabble in philosophy. So he introduced me through his articles. He mentioned Friedrich Nietzsche. He was became a fan of Ayn Rand later. Then after that, I started reading them myself. Mm-hmm. Nietzsche, Ayn Rand, uh, Bertrand Russell, the British atheist philosopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a man, Albert Ellis, a profound American psychologist who did great things in therapy, but, but was also an atheist. So in my late teens, though I was raised Catholic, by reading some of these wrong philosophers, I was convinced that belief in God was either like self-contradictory, the whole idea of God, or superfluous. We don't need to posit a God. Just open your eyes. The universe is there. That's the starting point. So, so yeah, I was actually kind of you know, robbed by my of my faith in my late teens, not because I wanted to be, uh, not because I wanted to reject God. I just thought, in all honesty, boy, I can't believe anymore because I've been given these airtight arguments against God. And then about 25 years later, through a series of events, I read uh, St. Thomas Aquinas for the first time. I thought, oh my gosh, these airtight (laughs) arguments of the atheists, they were big giant holes poked in them over 700 years ago by St. Thomas Aquinas. And he's borrowing from philosophers and church doctors who lived long before him. So anyway, you know, the answers to this had been there in my faith the whole time. And probably steel manning a lot of the arguments that you'd already heard, you know. Oh, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, the way Thomas operates. Yeah. He's going to give you a a very strong case against what his final conclusion is. So you have to be careful reading Thomas's objections like, oh, that makes perfect sense because you're going to see later. You have to read the whole article. That's right. right. (laughs) I have to be be careful when I write about Thomas, not that quote from the objections. Wait a minute. That's what he showed was wrong. Mm -hmm. But but, he did that for the atheistic arguments. Uh, Because I remember there was a line that said when, when Charles Darwin read the writings of Aristotle on biology for the first time. He said, some of these modern guys in my day, he said, they're like mere schoolboys compared to old Aristotle. So when I read Aquinas, I thought, oh gosh, these atheist philosophers I've been reading, 
uh, they're schoolboys and uh-huh. a schoolgirl, Ayn Rand, compared to old St. Thomas Aquinas. It is, it is a roller coaster reading, Thomas, because when he, yeah, presents these, all right, here's the objections to my original statement. You go like, yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a really good point. How are you going to get out of that one? And then you just feel like an idiot two seconds later when you see <laughs> yeah. what he does. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that would, that totally, you're right. Okay. Oh, right. What else you got? Exactly. He's often shown in those objections how they're capturing like a partial truth. Oh, they got part of it there, but they missed a big important point. Uh-huh. And then he's shown you exactly what was missed and why. So, uh, yeah, I just love the experience of reading Thomas, especially in the Summa Theologica where he writes in that formal uh, format. What do you think is the the atheist author that was most truthful, you thought, that was actually like presenting the arguments where, because I've read a, a, several atheists and I'm like, I don't think you believe this. I think that this is kind of propaganda. You're just selling books. Right. Um, so who do you think was true? True. Well, to, to, to what he, he thought. You mean who was honest? Right. Yes, yeah. maybe that's a better because they're not true. None of them are right. true. But. Right. Yeah. 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 They, they. They. You know, in their particular areas of specialty, maybe mathematics for Russell, philology for Nietzsche. Yeah, they had some good ideas. They were smart people. Right. But yeah. But the truth regarding God and theology—that's that, that's way they're, off. They're way off base there. But yeah, who who seemed like the most authentic? Because there's interesting twists with all of them. You know, they said like with with Nietzsche. You know, he kind of went crazy at the end of his life. But the rumors was that people in his old in his own area, his village, called him the saint because I guess he was kind of a kind, mild mannered man to the people around him so you have some hmm. of these paradoxes uh and another one probably one that had some of the biggest influence on me was was ayn rand who was the russian novelist people may know her yeah from fountainhead and atlas shrugged and things like that but she also wrote philosophy but but, but the way she stood out for me was so many philosophers atheists then especially now are, are relativists you know, this is my truth. What's your truth? There is no the truth, you know, mm-hmm. which is a kind of a paraphrase. Like why are you even you. writing a book about relative relativity? Like, that's right. I why mean, why like, bother? Yeah, exactly. Know? That may be true for you. It's not true for like, me. For you. Who wants to read your, your the book about what you think? You know, like if it's just totally relative. Oh, exactly. Anyway, exactly. Sorry. No, 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 you're right. But that's where Rand stood out is different from the rest of them. And they all also tended to be leftist and collectivist. But but she called her system objectivism, which meant she said, yeah, there is an objective reality out there. Mm. Uh, and we and you know we have minds that can actually grasp real truths with a capital T, and she claimed that her system was basically an outgrowth of Aristotle, who she highly respected, and interestingly, she also highly respected Saint Thomas Aquinas, in kind of a backhanded compliment. She she did write at one point that at the time when the church was really embracing Thomism again, this was around the time of Pope Leo the the, the thirteenth in the late eighteen hundreds stuff. He said. She called Thomas an intellectual giant, and she said the church rose close to the realm of reason at that time. So there's kind of a back kind <laughs> huh. of backhanded thing. But but they did respect that. And Rand Rand is interesting. You know, there's lots of flaws in her system. She talked about selfishness. She's missing a lot of human compassion. But but she wasn't militant like many of the atheists are now. I remember seeing her once on the the Phil Donahue show. It used to be a popular mm-hmm. talk show. And she was willing to say, God bless you to people. Yes, I can say that. God bless you. She goes, because it's a gesture. It's a saying that, that means it's benevolent, you know. So she was willing to do that. So I respected her, but but her, that, that Mike Mincer, the bodybuilder I read, I know that he, he respected Thomas too, but I highly suspect that they ever read Thomas firsthand. I highly suspect, uh, I highly doubt that they had done that. Because I just mm. wonder, what would they have thought if they would have really have seen how, how uh, Thomas reconciled faith and reason? 
in, in such a glorious way. And and while Rand kind of paid lip service to Aristotle, when I started reading Thomas, I realized he wrote line by line commentaries on multiple of Aristotle's books. So Thomas knew Aristotle left mm-hmm. and right, back and forth. And uh, if you knew Aristotle that well, you probably would have read Thomas's commentaries, right? I mean, if you were actually a student of Aristotle, it'd be hard to avoid. That is true. And I must say, I can't say that it's not the case, but I never recall in the objectivist literature seeing anyone cite Thomas's commentaries. Uh-huh. Though I know some sources say you might get a better, truer, or it might be easier to grasp some of Aristotle's fundamental principles if you read Thomas rather than Aristotle himself. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, that's also true about Thomas. It might You might understand Thomas better if you read some of the commentary, the good commentary that's d- done on him, depending on what level you are, you know, in the philosophical world. Well, that's exactly right, because you know, in a tremendous industry on on clarifying simplifying and modernizing thomas's language to yeah. introduce people that's part of that's part of my shtick you know but no that's part of my you know my little vocation to try to present thomas to modern readers so say, hey that kind of makes sense and hopefully to guide them into i gotta i gotta look at this guy firsthand in fact and, you know since we're just talking about saint thomas we should just mention you just published uh the the latest in the 20 catholic answers 20 questions series yeah, right there. on saint thomas aquinas so you just Oh, yeah, yeah, just came out uh, th- this year. It's the, the 49th in their beautiful little series, these little books on 20 questions that have the things to do about the faith. And this is actually the first time they did one on a particular saint. But the reason is, you know, Thomas is called the common doctor. He addresses just about about everything. Yeah. So even just if you just focus on Thomas, and, and because it was said of him that because he respected so much the church fathers and theologians that came before him, in a way he inherited the intellect of all of them. So when you read Thomas, you're getting everybody else who, right. who lived before. Him. Well, if you read the Catena Aurea, it's pretty clear uh, the the he chops, you know, that he's, you know. <laughs> exactly, the golden chain. Exactly, right. So uh, we're here with Dr. Kevin Vost. We're going to be talking about the art of memory. You're listening to The Catholic Man Show with Adam Minhan and David Niles. We'll be right back. Dave and I talk about holy friendships and the importance of them in the show quite often. Here's a great opportunity for you to get plugged in to other like-minded Catholic men. The Exodus 90 Conference is coming up August 4th through the 6th. Put that on your calendars, men. August 4th through the 6th in Indianapolis. And just because you listen to the Catholic Man Show, we're going to save you $150. Here's how you do it. Go to exodus90.com slash conference. And you use promo code ND150, that's I-N-D-Y, 150, when you register, and you'll save $150 on your registration fee. This is the conference to be at. There's going to be tons of like-minded Catholic men who are striving for holiness, striving to get their, their families to heaven. Whether you've participated in Exodus 90 or not, this is the conference for you to join other like-minded Catholic men. Go to exodus90.com conference for more information. Use promo code ND150 for $150 off. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan, our special guest, Dr. Kevin Vost. Thanks for being here, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me. So, memory is, uh, you know, like your thing. It's uh, it's your shtick. I don't know. If that's, I think that's an insulting way to put it. I'm sorry I did that. Uh, but it's. I'm glad that you're doing that because I don't hear people talking about it, and I feel like. People a long time ago used to be a lot better at memory uh, before, you know, you could just Google something over and over and over again. You don't have to remember it. Who cares? You know, just Google it again later if you need it. Um, so it's it's something that I think uh, as a human, as a 
you know, as a race, people, we have this capacity to use, and we're just totally um, un- undeveloped. We just have not uh, developed mm-hmm. that that side of our our personhood. Um, and so, as Catholics, we want to be as full as we can be. Um, and so, I'm glad that you're out here doing this work because, a, I didn't even know it was a problem until I realized from people like you and uh, some of the work that you put out that. Hey, I'm bad at this. I'm very bad, and I should be better. Um, I think one reason that we should be better at this is for the sake of the virtue of prudence. Uh, kind of between break or between segments here, we were talking about how prudence, memory plays a big role in prudence. Can you talk about that? Sure, sure. And the the special memory techniques that I specialized in in my work as a psychologist, I did a master's thesis on using these special methods with children and adolescents. Mm-hmm. Later, I did work at an Alzheimer's center where we saw what happened to people's memories as they're losing their abilities through dementia or or um, in brain injuries of various kinds. We also looked at just normal aging, what happens uh, to you there. So so there's this this definite cognitive component. To, me- to memory, you know, we need it for you know adequate daily living and thinking and learning. But there's also an ethical component. But these special methods that I talk about, they go back to the ancient Greeks, and they were first used by orators, public speakers, or lawyers, you know, people who would get up there. So they had these methods; they could keep key ideas in their mind in their exact order and give long orations without a single note, never losing their place. Mm-hmm. They're not memorizing things word for word because you could trip up. But all the key ideas that then let them ad lib through all the crucial points. That's how these things uh, originated from the poet Simonides in Greece in like 500 BC or so. But a big development happened in the Middle Ages with some of our Catholic Church doctors. And St. Albert the Great was one of the key figures. He lived from about 1200 to 1280. He's St. Thomas Aquinas' teacher. He's a patron saint of scientists. He was called the Great while he was still alive because mm. he was so had such encyclopedic knowledge, and not just theology, but literally almost everything from anatomy down to zoology. He contributed to all these different uh, scientific fields. And one thing that caught his interest was memory. And, and a big thing he did here... There was a, a body of literature that went back to Aristotle on how does the human memory work, feeding on the information from the senses and, and so on. There was a separate body of knowledge that was tr- attributed back to, to Cicero in the Latin writing of these special memory improvement techniques. And St. Albert like integrated them both and showed how they mesh together. But he also, he moved the memory techniques from primarily you know oratory and learning to an ethical purpose. And he did that borrowing from Cicero, the ancient Roman, because they talked about different parts of virtues, like different capacities you have to fully live out a a key, like a cardinal virtue, like prudence, and prudence being practical wisdom. Cicero said, and Albert agreed, that three fundamental parts are memory, understanding, and foresight. So memory has a, a past element, understanding the present situation, foresight looks to the future. So basically, to achieve virtuous goals in the future, requiring foresight, mm-hmm. we're going to ana- analyze our current situation using our present understanding, and we're going to make decisions guided on the lessons we learned in the past, and that depends upon memory. So Albert says, because we always move you know, from now into the future, we never go backwards. He said, for this reason, in a sense, memory is the most important part of prudence, because what's going to guide our moral behaviors are the ethical lessons that we learned and retained from the past. And as Catholics, it would include things like the, the tenets of the faith, uh, the, the moral moral principles of our own faith. That should form the, the cornerstone of our ethical actions. So Albert actually 
he went and, and commented line by line on this oldest book that we have on these memory techniques called the Ad Herenium. It just means to some guy named Herenius. We don't have the <laughs> formal title. We don't even know for sure who wrote it. Though for years it was thought it was, it was Cicero there. But Albert says he, he actually recommends that you have train your memory as a component of prudence. Enhance your ability to, to learn and hold on to things that are important. And then Thomas Aquinas, you know, built upon his teacher Aristotle, I mean, t- his teacher um, St. Albert, and he wrote about memory as a part of prudence, like smack dab in the middle of his Summa Theologica. And I tell people, if, if you maybe come across this, it's like over 3,000 pages, over a million and a half words. They sell a hardcover Latin English edition that's over 30 pounds shipping weight for all these eight volumes minus the supplement. But, but anyway, almost smack dab in the middle. Second part of the second part, 49th question. First article is whether memory is a part of prudence. And then Thomas tells us, yes, it is. And mm-hmm. here's why. Because some people thought, no, memory wouldn't be because memory is just like a natural ability. I mean, animals have some form of memory and prudence is a virtue that uh, you know relies on our mm. intellect. And Thomas showed how through using the art of memory, specialized techniques, we use our intellects and our reasoning abilities and other capacities to alter the way we remember things. So we can do things that no other animal can. So he said, if you really want to exercise prudence, uh, now, now Thomas being Thomas, he moves from three parts of Cicero and Albert to a full eight parts. So he talks about other things you mm. have to have, like docility, the willingness to learn from others, shrewdness, the ability over time to be able to think on your feet, and all this other stuff. But he starts, he starts with memory. And Thomas says, basically, there's four things you need to do to perfect your memory. And I'll, I'll start with three and four because we know these already. He says, if you want to memorize something, you have to concentrate, you have to focus. You also have to repeat it, rehearse it. Uh-huh. There's the old saying, uh, repetition is the mother of memory. Uh-huh. But then these two elements of the artificial memory. The first, he says, we need to take some, he uses the, what's translated as unwanted, uh, U-N-W-O-N-T-E-D, or strange or unusual or marvelous, make some image of whatever it is you're trying to remember, some, something you could picture in your mind's eye, something concrete, even if what you're trying to remember is abstract or spiritual. So it's a form of mental image. And then he says, put the images you're forming in an organized order. Put them in a series of locations. Because there's another old saying, uh, confusion is the mother of forgetfulness. <laughs> <laughs> so, so organization is the opposite, you know, is also a component of memory. So the, so the four things, he says, you need to use visual images put them in a certain order and concentrate while you're doing this and repeat it until you've got it so i know that um i've seen techniques about usually magicians who they'll give you a deck of cards and they say you know shuffle and put them in any order Mm -hmm. and then they will take it look at it one time yes hand it back to you and then repeat all 52 cards in the order and basically what they do is they you know, tell the st- they make up a story as they're like reading, seeing the cards. Like, oh, the five of clubs went to a. And, you know, the more creative and interesting you can make that story in your mind, the better you're going to remember it. Um, it's kind of like what you're t- saying. Like, maybe even a silly image. You know, something oh, oh, that's yeah. that's so weird. The weirder it is, maybe the better. Uh, when you're creating this, you know, all right, you have a concept. Mm-hmm. What is an image that's going to remind you about that concept? Yes, exactly. And, and the, it's always recommended to make them strange and unusual because we, we see so much every day, we forget what's mundane. But uh-huh. what's really strange stands out. And I'll just mention, too, with the card, I've I seen that myself. There's there's a guy, Sal, Sal, Pacen- Sal the Hitman Pacenti, and he helps casinos track down cheaters. And he's a memory, thorough memory expert. And I uh-huh. had breakfast with him, his wife, a few years ago. And he, with my, my wife and kids, he demonstrated that card 
he could do it, you know, in just a minute or two with that deck. And then I discovered a little while later, there was one of the great Dominican master generals, like in the 1700s, who helped revive the order and said he could do the same thing. <laughs> just think this master general that can memorize a deck of cards in just a couple couple of minutes. Because, uh-huh. yeah, there, there's kind of techniques out there for everything. But a key component, though, is making those images kind of strange and unusual. Uh, if I can give you one example, in, in my first memory book, Memorize the Faith, we go over memorizing all kinds of things. And one of the things we talk about is the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. And also, making things strange and unusual is a component. Also, if you can actually see it, it's a little bit easier than even imagining it. Mm-hmm. So some of them are illustrated. So one of my favorites, the, the illustrator, Ted Schlender Fritz, he drew <laughs> this. <laughs> that's his name. I think I remember it, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, he actually illustrated three of my memory books with different publishers, or four of them, actually. But anyway, anyway, so he, he's drawing this grizzly bear holding a purse sitting on a cushion because now we're trying to memorize bearing persecution. Okay, mm, you know? Nice. So we're doing, and another, like, on the pool table there, it's the 30th location, uh, is, uh, is a, a big bullfrog surrounded by billiard balls because we're remembering the books of the Old Testament as they're laid out in the catechism, their order, and the 30th is the book of Jeremiah. And for people old enough, you're going to know that Jeremiah was a bullfrog, That's according right. to no. that, that he was music. A, you know, he was a friend of mine. He was a friend. Yeah. You're a little bit older than I, than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that. So I guess so. Imagination plays a big role in memory. So as a yes. as a as a dad, as I have young young children, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. importance of uh, uh, cultivating the imagination within my children play not only a good uh, a role in their literary skills, but also in their uh, memory skills. Oh, a- absolutely, absolutely. And I will. This, I'm glad you brought up the two with the kids. My master's thesis that examined kids was memory, strategy, instruction, and the internalization of higher psychological processes in mm-hmm. adolescence. But but this idea of internalization, light, just some light reading, yeah. light reading, yeah, yeah, you know, if you got to yes, go kick, you know, go out to the beach or something, <laughs> right, exactly. you know, get your little drink there and, and read that. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, this internalization process because it's based on this theory of Russian psychologist Vygotsky, and he's saying that that as we develop from kids to to adolescents to adults things usually come to us externally socially from our parents mm-hmm. you know and our, and our teachers and also we learn better the things are presented externally things we can actually see so like the younger the child the more helpful it's going to be if they actually have pictures or illustrations or like when i go through these location techniques if you if they're actually sitting in their own house laying out these locations so yeah the younger the child is the more concrete the more external the aid is the better and as the kids get older, they become more and more proficient. Their imagination grows, and they're able to do more and more of this on their own. You know, so we, we've talked about, uh, we've done episodes on imagination in the past. And uh, it, I, I do think that as adults, our imaginations should be better, not worse. Kids have a natural inclination to imagine and play, right? But as adults, we should have, we, imagination is not for kids. It's for adults, too. Without it, this uh, you know, our memory just is not the same. We'll talk more about this on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. As many of you know, we are going to Ireland on pilgrimage here coming up in September with Father Sean Donovan, Dave, and myself. We will be stopping at different Catholic historic sites. We're going to go to the Shrine of, of Our Lady of Knock. We will probably stop into a pub or two, and then we will also be taking private distillery tours. So this is a once-in-a-lifetime 
type of pilgrimage, and we still have a couple spots left. We still have a couple spots left um, to go with us. So if you have been thinking about going on pilgrimage with us, join us, and this is the last month to be able to sign up. Go to selectinternationaltours.com slash the Catholic Man Show. You can also give them a call. Their phone number is on their website. If you have any questions, they will be happy to help you uh, navigate through like any questions that you have regarding the pilgrimage. So uh, go to selectinternationaltours.com slash the Catholic Man Show. We would love to have you in Ireland with us in September. Cheers. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Here today with Dr. Kevin Vost. 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 Gotcha. I didn't, I didn't remember it. No. Um, we're t- think we're about, get a good image in your head. Uh, something abstract. Like a ghost eating toast. On top of a post. Okay. Or something, I don't something, know. Something, I don't know. You pick your own image, all right? <laughs> but we were talking about, uh, we were talking about the imagination for children, imagination for, for adults, how that plays a role uh, in memory. And I, w- I was curious, last night I asked this question, but I, but I want to ask it again um, for the show. Right now, one of the things that I'm doing for, especially my younger kids, is just having them memorize things, especially like things of the faith, like memorize the books of the Bible, memorize the cardinal virtues, memorize the theological virtues, memorize as many prayers as you can, both in English and Latin. Like, you know, just try, I'm just trying to uh, almost program them, so to speak, uh, w- so they can r- remember it. I'm not necessarily focused as much on uh, making sure that they internalize it, make sure they understand everything, but more about just getting them to memorize it. And then as they go, as they're used to the words, of the virtuous words or, or um, the different books of the Bible, then they, can get, then they can start asking questions about it. Do you think that, that is a, a good idea or do you think that I have just dropped the ball as a father? Well... I hate to tell you this, but I think it's a very good idea. <laughs> Actually, no, it is a good idea. Because, you know, the kids, their cognitive skills develop gradually over time. You know, the great people like Jean Piaget have laid out these different stages that are commonly seen, uh-huh. you know, as kids develop from, from infants to young kids to around seven or age, seven or so, they develop these concrete reasoning abilities around age 11 or 12, these more abstract abilities. So it's a natural progression. So you want to kind of feed them what they're, what's suited to them at the time. Mm-hmm. So I say, yeah, if you just start with basic memorization, they know particular terms, they have some sense of what they mean, that's great. Then the older they get, uh, the more they're going to be able to dig deeper and know it better and better as time goes on. So their knowledge base is going to become broader and broader, but also sturdier, you know, and, and have mm-hmm. more depth to it. Like like with the virtues, you know, you might start them out just knowing what the name of them are and, and give some general sense. You know, kids can probably grasp fortitude or courage and one components being brave you know mm-hmm. and, and then as they get as they grow you can learn there's so much more to it like if you read st thomas aquinas you know he does like you know hundreds of pages on the, the cardinal virtues mm-hmm. of courage and justice and uh temperance and, and prudence you know so then he talks about all these different parts like we talked about eight parts of prudence and there's a dozen or so virtues that help justice you know so as time goes on you can dig deeper and deeper because our faith is almost of unfathomable depth. But I think, yes, with kids, I think it's good to give them that knowledge base, give them some basic facts to work with. Because if they're not there, the chances are that a deeper understanding is never going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're, you're laying the seeds that I think ideally will will grow and develop over the years. So I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, their ability to, depending on which kids you're talking about, but you know, their ability to even come to an understanding is going to be so limited anyway. It would be mm-hmm. a be a short might be a really short lesson right <laughs> uh yeah but you know kids that memorize things 
so easily. Uh, so that's, that's a great gift, I think. I wish I had memorized the books of the Bible when I was young, because maybe I'd still know most of them, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I could still memorize them, but it would. I'm a lot More. busier now. When I was a kid, turns out I had nothing to do, you know? And, <laughs> um, so anyway, that's, I think that's a great thing that you're doing. Uh, okay, so I, my, uh, there, another question that I have is there's different types of memory, right? So there's like a retrospective memory. Mm-hmm. There's like memory for the future, like you were talking about, like foresight. There's also like comprehension memory. I don't know what you call that, actually, if that's a, the actual term or not. But there's different types of memory. Is there ways of th- – th- this system that St. Thomas lays out with the palace that you, that you mm-hmm. pick up on, does that help with all aspects of memory, or is there different ways to – to utilize or to, to grow in, in, in these memory. Yeah. In this and, memory. and these particular techniques, I mean, it's, it's one very powerful technique or class of techniques, but there's other, there's others out there. I mean, you know, people point out, uh, they learn things through songs, through rhyme, uh-huh. through, through acronyms. Like when I grew up, we learned homes, H O M E S here in Ontario, Michigan, Erie superior, you know, for the great lakes or for mm-hmm. the musical EGBDF, every good boy does fine, you uh-huh. know, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Those can be very, very powerful and, uh, and can stick with you. But, but I must admit, I'm I'm tired. I'm losing my track of my thought. What was your the original? Well, does question? it? Yeah. So does it? Uh, does this actually help with you know foresight oh, yeah, with, with, oh, yeah. with retrospect with that's right that's comprehension right. that's right. Yeah, yeah, it can. These techniques are most amenable to like you have a certain body of information that you want to. I say I th- I want to know this. You know, I want to know what the Ten Commandments are. Or hey, I found a half an hour open in my schedule. I want to memorize all the books of the Old Testament in order, or, or the, the new. Mm, yeah. you know, or you're on the, the, you're on the job and you've got some new procedure that has 12 steps. Hey, I'd like to know these in my own head, backward and forward. I don't have to keep opening up the manual or right. clicking on the page that has them or whatever. So, so you can use this for all, anything that a particular body of information, a list, a series of steps, particular facts, vocabulary words, English, foreign, whatever. They can apply admirably well to all that. Some of these other types of memory, like prospective memory, like, oh, I need to remember tomorrow, I need to go to the store and and do this and that. Well, if you have a grocery list, this technique can help you master that in a snap of the fingers. But will you remember certain other things that you're supposed to do the next day, that that future memory? It's a little bit different. Uh, It's it's not going to be quite the same. You may or may not think tomorrow, oh, I'm supposed to go to the grocery store. But there can be techniques you can do. Uh, I, I don't do this myself, but but there are some memory techniques that involve, like, like there's a method you can use to say, hey, uh, January 12th, 2014, uh, what day of the week was that? Now, I'm not proficient. I've lost it now. I don't have it. But there are methods now where you could say it because you just memorize like the first day of, the, of each month and what day that starts on. You can do mathematical calculations and do that. So you could form like a template in your head of, of a week in advance. Use these images for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then place little images on each day. Okay, this is, oh, there's, I'm getting my tooth yanked out because I got to go to the dentist on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I'm tying that in with Wednesday comes from uh, uh, Odin in the Norse mythology. So so there's Odin. He's got a, Odin, he's got his eye patch maybe, and now oh, he's pulling my tooth out. Okay, so on Wednesday, I got to go to my. Do you have an eye Odin. patch on your tooth. Uh, uh, eye patch <laughs> on my, <laughs> you could do that too. Yeah. See, now that's the thing too. You pointed that out right. These are infinitely flexible. You make the image whatever the heck you want. Uh-huh. Like I was just thinking, am I Vost or Vost? Another one. Okay, because I thought of this because I was eating breakfast at the hotel this morning. I saw some bunch of Cheerios. If you if you think of me, it's not the most flattering thing, but imagine me with a great big Cheerio over surrounding my face. Mm-hmm. It yeah. might remind you it's a long O because we know Cheerios, but whoever heard of Cheerios? 
you know. Ah, uh, so, I like that. So, yeah. But but yeah, so these are just infinitely flexible. Yeah, there's different kinds of memories even too. A, a crucial distinction is is verbal memory and visual memory. It actually ties into more to the hemispheres of our brain for almost everybody, even left-handers like me. Your left hemisphere tends to be dominant for verbal, your your right for visual information, and these memory techniques like the ones Thomas talk about, they use both. They, they, they use verbal puns. They're often used for verbal information, and yet you encode them with these wacky visual images. You're kind of like firing up both sides of the brain mm-hmm. at once and increasing your chances you're going to remember it. And another thing they do, another distinction of memory is like semantic memory or declarative memory, what they call like book learning. Here's what I've read. Versus, here's what I studied in a class, in a textbook, versus experiential memory, what I've actually lived through. And we tend to do much better at remembering our own life experiences than some, right. something dry we read in a book. So another thing these memory methods do is, in a sense, they turn that book learning into an experience, into this imagined scenario that you've gone through. So is that like, is that how people do photographic memory? Is How, how does that work? How does photographic memory... Because... That's more of like something you're born with, right? I mean, the, the, the people who have unusually powerful memories, it does tend to be an inborn capacity. But I will say the researchers have done it some experience where they take people with near photographic memory and pit them against true memory experts who trained in this stuff for years and years. And the memory, the trained people usually win over the people with naturally powerful. Uh-huh. But of course, if you took a photographic memory person who's willing to learn the methods, then watch out. They'll right. Be, yeah. yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. But, but for some of us though, we have a hint of photographic memory and what's actually called flashbulb memories. And I'm sure you've heard examples of this. Like when I was young, it, it was always, where were you when John F. Kennedy was shot? Right. Mm-hmm. Later, when I was a young man, it was, where were you when the challenger exploded, exploded. Mm-hmm. you know and, and so we have those things that we we share then it became 911 and i can tell i know what i had for supper uh november sunday november 15th 1986 my wife made a homemade pizza my brother came over and had it with us because uh, in the middle of the night her water broke and our son was born the next day you know so so certain things that are are traumatic that stand out right. either to all of us as a nation or personal things it tends to be boom ingrained in our memory without purposely trying to concentrate right. and repeat and all this it's just it's there it's, it has such a powerful emotional impact because that's another aspect of memory uh, a strong emotional component to it and the stronger the emotion the more likely we're going to yeah the more passion there is around it. Like, I think the most recent one is, where were you when you heard the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade? That'll a be, brand new one. That'll yeah. be one. And in fact, when it happened, I said, I'm going to remember this moment. And that's a good yeah. one. That's a good memory. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, so, th- and I can. I can remember exactly, you know, I, I d- you do have more of that. Uh, I can see where I was, what what happened, you know, like, whereas you ask me anything else, pick a different memory. I don't know, like. What'd you wear yesterday? Right, exactly. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, to remember things on purpose, we have to, you know, if it's not naturally a phenomenal thing, mm-hmm. we have to make it special. We have to use our imaginations to enhance it and make it strange, unusual, striking in some way. And this is so important with the faith uh, because we never know, like St. Peter, he, he says, you know, always be ready to give an account, okay? Um, we should be ready because we don't know necessarily when we're going to be asked to give that account for you know the faith or for the hope that lies within us um so having these techniques knowing the things that are most important to you because i think like generally what we're saying is that if you want to memorize things with these with these uh techniques it's not something that happens on accident you need to choose you need to do it intentionally right um unlike somebody who maybe has a photographic memory or identic memory who just remembers absolutely everything that happened to them 
just because they're special. Yeah, it's such a rare thing, and that is true. It involves effort, you know, because Thomas, even when he's talking about St. Thomas Aquinas, he says, you know, that memory's not just in us by nature, it's perfected by art and diligence, Mm -hmm. by skill and practice, and he's borrowing from Cicero there. So yeah, for the vast majority of us, it takes work. So like these particular methods that I talk about, um, you got to work at them at first before they become automatic. So you Mm kind of pay your dues, but once you've done it, they become very easy after that period of practice. Customization. Yeah, you put in the effort up front, it pays dividends later. Exactly. Okay, we'll, we'll be right back. Hmm. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. We've got Dr. Kevin Vost here in studio. We're talking about memory. I have two questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Start yeah. with number two. Okay. I will. Um, we've been talking about how the imagination plays this really pivotal role in these particular memory techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So is there any research or evidence showing that adults who read fiction more fiction novels are better at memory. Is there any correlation there but just between... Now, it's fascinating. I personally don't know. I have I've not come across that. But the, I, I could see, if I would just guess, it would be possibly yes. Because mm-hmm. that fiction, yeah, you're creating the whole scenario. You're exercising your, your imagination. Yeah. You know, as oh. you read that book, you know, you can see it happening. You, you know what I mean? Oh, and exactly. And how many times have you heard a person say, you know, I read that book, then I saw the movie. Oh, the movie, of course, was nothing like the book. Right. right? Because you can't, you can't capture all that. That whole world you build in your own mind. Uh, so an interesting concept. I don't know for sure, but I could see that the, the value of reading that fiction, you know, creating those worlds within your head. You're, you're imagining what every character looks like, what every setting uh, mm-hmm. looks like, maybe even the voices of the people, the memory for, for sound. So yeah, you're just get, cool providing thought. yourself more ammo to use for your memory. Yeah, exactly. And I just know, you know everybody has their mm-hmm. own tendencies, like like my own reading. I'm mostly a nonfiction reader. I'm doing spiritual, philosophical reading and stuff in the right. mornings. But as the day progresses, I move towards fiction and I love it nighttime, you know, reading the novels because it's more relaxing. It fires up the imagination and probably affects the, the, the dreams you have at night, too. But yeah, but I think there's great value in, in reading good fiction mm-hmm. uh, in strengthening the ima- powers of the imagination. Yeah, I just know that I've gone through in my own like reading that I think when I like kind of came to the faith was like diving into it more deeply. I certainly had this attitude of like fiction. I don't have time. Like I don't have time for fiction. I'm not a kid. Okay. You know, uh, like why would I read? Why would I read a fairy tale? That's ridiculous. And now uh, my opinion is totally different from that. You know, now I, th- I see all these value and even kids fairy tales for me as an adult, you know, Oh, exactly. Adam and I were talking about that yesterday. I have a, a book coming out on humility with Ascension, and I, I include one of Aesop's fables because we talked about the value uh-huh. of those fables there. Yeah, and fiction. I'll tell you, one of the most powerful experiences I had, kind of a multi-sensory experience years ago, was reading uh, Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov yeah. for the first time. But the whole time I read it, I had Rachmaninoff symphonies going in the background quietly. You know, so really? that, whole, that whole Russian you know, feel to it. But yeah, we Why sipping vodka? Yeah. I should have. I, yeah. what, I'm going to have to reread it. <laughs> Go get some good vodka. Yeah, the passion. Good idea. <laughs> Next good level. Good idea. Then I'll read some good uh, German literature and I'll have to get the right stuff for that. Some yeah, schnapps or some good yeah. Some good lockers. Some good lockers. Yeah, schnapps and lockers. Both. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so the other thing, that my other one I was going to mention, it's not actually a question, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out because I mentioned this before we recorded that, I don't know, years ago, five or six years ago, I picked up your book, Memorize the Reasons, um, which is about St. Peter, about like the papacy, at least. Mm-hmm. I, I told you, I haven't actually finished the book. I think I only read the first like two chapters, and maybe it's the introduction and the first chapter on this airplane. It was a short airplane ride. And after reading just the intro and the first chapter, years and years and years ago, I can still picture in my mind like the like walking through the castle and those memory locations and mm-hmm. seeing what happens. And I still remember like, oh, yeah, that reminds me that, you know, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, like, for instance, one of them, you see a sailor coming out of a door riding on an ox and like the sailor is like the captain of the boat. And the ox is in from the symbol of St. Luke. And so you remember that in the Gospel of Luke, it talks about Jesus preaching from Peter's, the bark of Peter, right? And, exactly. Um, exactly. I mean, I read this six years ago, and I can still, re- I mean, like, that's how powerful this technique is. So when we're done, after the segment, mm-hmm. you're going to walk us through, like, one of these memory exercises. Oh, I'd love to do a simple one, because you're, yours, I've done five memory books, and Memorize the Reason is the most advanced. Because I give both reasons for it's an apologetics book, reasons uh-huh. for what we believe, what we do, like about the Pope and the, the Peter Bible and tradition, Marian dogmas and things. But we give both the reasons themselves and where they come from, uh-huh. like what book of the Bible or what church father or, or source. So that's a tough one. But yeah, I'd be happy to do a little, a very simple demo uh, in a little while. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I just want to make sure people know. Stick around. Stick around yeah. for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I'm. I'm also curious. Um, Okay, so we have, uh, you, you, you talked about being able to visualize things, and then you've also talked, you also talked talk to me last night about how a guy was visualizing the mass, remember, like, uh, to, because he was captured oh, yeah. um, in, in, in war. Will you remind me about that? Oh, yeah, thanks, thanks. You know, most of my books, I come up with the ideas. Sometimes a publisher contacts me, sometimes readers contact me. Mm-hmm. And I got contacted by this guy, and he later, I don't know if you can see it, he, he sent me, this is like, the 416 Flight Squadron, Edwards Air Force Base in California. He's an experimental uh, F-16 fighter pilot. And he asked me for tips on memorizing. Experimental? Sounds like, sounds like yeah, his, great uh, man. his life insurance premiums are probably <laughs> higher than average. But, you know. That's right. He was very, very interested in power of prayer and the mass. But he asked me for tips on memorizing the mass. And I had actually done a brief article years ago on like how to memorize the, the, the rites, the order of the mass, the different parts and uh-huh. things. But I found that I couldn't find that online anymore and I didn't have my own records. So I thought, this could be the basis of a whole book. But the reason that he asked me about it was, there's a man named Jeremiah Denton. He was a POW during uh, the Vietnam War, the 1960s. He was a fighter pilot who was shot down and he was held prisoner for over five years. Very prominent man. He later became an admiral and then he became a, a senator from Alabama. This man, Jeremiah Denton. He wrote about his experience in a powerful book called When Hell Was in Session, his experience mm. as a POW. But, but he, and a cool thing about it, at this time, they really treated the prisoners inhumanely and they would try to get them to do propaganda films, you know, the, the captors there in North yeah. Vietnam. And famously, one thing Denton did when he was brought on for one of these films, he blinked his eyes in Morse code to spell out the word torture. So through doing that, he got the word out that these they were being tortured. I thought, that's just ingenious, you know? Mm. And he even wrote, too, how they would sometimes transport the prisoners and would not let them talk. But the men who were sitting next to each other would push on each other's knees in the Morse code so they could communicate that way. But anyway, but here, here's the crux of the matter. 
Uh, Denton wrote that what preserved his sanity during these years of capture, uh, captivity and, and torture were that every day he would mentally rehearse the mass in his mind. He said both in Latin and in English. I'm supposing he was either a daily mass goer or a, probably a server. Mm-hmm. He said, but that's one of the things that preserved his sanity was knowing that mass. I don't know if my experimental fighter pilot thought if I'm ever shot down somewhere, that might be a good thing. And then coincidentally, a few weeks later, a priest comes to our parish, I think it was a Mary Knoll missionary, and he told the story of a bishop, I believe his name was James Walsh, who the Chinese had captive for, I think it was maybe 10 years in the 50s and 60s, and he also wrote that what kept his sanity was he would mentally go through the Mass every day. Mm-hmm. He said the rosary too. So I thought, so I did this book, Memorize the Mass, and I call it, you know, I think I subtitled as if your life depended on it. Now for, for Walsh and Denton, and in a way it literally did. Right. And in a, in a more literal way for all of us, it does. Our eternal life, you know, in a, in a certain sense depends upon the Mass. So anyway, that, that was my motive for writing the book, uh, Memorize the Mass, because this fighter pilot asked me, and it had the, the new Mass parts and also the Latin Mass. But then later I got a request from, from not a fighter pilot, from a grandma said, hey, my kids are growing up in the Latin Mass. Would it be possible to do a book just on the Latin so they wouldn't be distracted by, you know, so they could focus more just on that? So later I did that that, that book too. You know, one of the things I love about this is that it makes you um, be intentional about things, which I think is one of the big big burdens of of modernity is that uh, you just kind of like don't even pay attention to things. Like, you know, we haven't even thought, oh, maybe I should choose something. So if you're going to start memorizing things, all of a sudden you now have to choose what is important to me? Mm. What is the most important thing for me to learn? You know, like, where am I going to start? And I think just that's a good mental exercise in and of itself um, for you to kind of analyze your own life. Where are you as a person? Um, what what should you learn first? That's a great take on There's an old quote from Aristotle I love. He said, it's better to know a little bit about sublime things than a lot about trivial things. And yeah, we're kind of living in a culture where the yeah. trivial is constantly pouring out at us. You know, so... And two, it's not a rejection of everything, like a rejection of all the distraction technology, but how am I going to rein them in and focus most of my attention on what is most important? And even you know, Thomas writes about the vice of curiositas, yeah. where we're distracted and everything's drawing us away, and the virtue of studiositas, when, when we find things worth knowing, that can we channel ourselves and focus ourselves to really dig in deep? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a great idea that, yeah, if we are going to use these techniques, then each of us has to decide what's important for me to remember, what's worth knowing inside my own head. Yeah, you know, hundreds of years ago, uh, before information was just so prevalent, if there was a book, it was going to be on important things, right? You're not, if you only have a few books, you're going to get books on the things that are most important. Um, Now that information is so readily available, which is in and of itself a very good thing, but it, it obscures the important from the unimportant in the mass of availability. No, oh, exactly. That's a good point, too. Like, I think back to, like, St. Albert and Thomas, the memory masters. They're, they're living before the printing press. Right. So the manuscripts are very, very rare. So when they would, like, visit a different monastery or something, they're, they're in that library. And they said, Thomas is actually memorizing much of this. Like, for the Catina Aurea, the Golden Chain. Some people even think that a big part of the Summa Theologica may have been dictated from Thomas's memory. Because he got a hold of a text, you know, he, he's going to need to internalize it uh-huh. because they're so hard to come by. But yeah, so today we're just swarming, you know, in, in books and reading materials. All so, so we do have, it's much harder to make a choice because there's so many things, so much more to choose from. But on the other hand, 
all the great treasures throughout the ages, like in the Catholic history, they're there for us. So if mm-hmm. we want to seek them out, mm-hmm. the great spiritual classics, you know, the, the stuff from St. Francis de Sales, the Imitation to Christ, Thomas's writings, Augustine's, you know, the great mystics and Teresa of Avila, all those folks, they're there for us. If we decide to take the time to, to choose them to focus on and read them and then maybe, maybe try to memorize a few key ideas that we get from them. One thing I heard, uh, I read somewhere that someone asked uh, Thomas what was one of the greatest gifts that he ever had and he, uh, that he received, and he said, one of the things is that I, re- I understood everything I've ever read, which is just like mind-blowing. That's right. Um, I'll, so, have to, I'll have to pray for that. <laughs> <laughs> so if, we're, we're out of time on the radio. If you would, go to thecatholicmanshow.com. You can check out this full podcast because we're going to do a demonstration on the podcast on memory. Uh, we're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. Very good. Okay, let's let's do it. So you're I, I'm, you're gonna let me, do. Let me start. Let me let me concentrate. I gotta get. Let me get yeah. concentration yeah. going. Maybe do some push-ups, some feats of strength. Get the blood flowing. <laughs> that is, that is good. Yeah, yeah. There's a definite component there. Thomas says, you know, that the virtues are to the soul as health and, and fitness and beauty are to the body, mm-hmm. and they're, they're all tied in. Of course, we're in soul bodies, so they work together. So what are you gonna do? Uh, the what would you like to do your, the exercise on? Okay. Why do, here, here's how we can do it, too. I can either reveal up front what we're doing, or we can do it and then reveal what we've done. Let's Ooh, do the I reveal like, at the end. I like the second See, one. I yeah. kind of like the suspenseful version. Yeah, I do, too. So, I do, too. Though some people might catch on early on, but we'll see. We'll see. That's okay. okay. All right. Here's our exercise. All right. Now, I ask you to turn your powers of concentration and imagination on high. Mm-hmm. You're going to journey uh, with me to to my home in central Illinois. It is a a sprawling ranch house surrounded by mature maples and oaks. You walk up to my front door. You ring the doorbell. And who should open the front door? Not me or my wife, but Wonder Woman herself. You know, the red, white, and blue outfit, the Mm -hmm. golden power Mm -hmm. bracelets, and the lasso and all that. And she's also holding a puppy in her arms hmm. and it is so cute you cannot help yourself you go oh oh okay well that's our first image okay wonder woman the puppy you go oh that's the front door that's number one number two now you're going to step inside and i have a uh, uh a doormat there and who do you see on that doormat but your own priest but you're gonna think of him now not as father so-and-so but as reverend another title right Re- okay. reverend's there and he's also uh, sitting on his motorcycle, revving it up, revving the engine. Right? I don't know if he has one. I didn't or know not, if Father Brooks had a motorcycle. I can see Reverend Brooks. Reverend, uh, Reverend, Reverend, Reverend Brooks. I can see him actually riding a motorcycle. Or it could be a sports car, a muscle car. He'd look, you know. he'd look good on a chopper. Yeah, you know? a chopper. So. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, but any of the revving, you know. Okay, so that's number two, uh, the Reverend revving uh, at the doormat. Number three, there's this little glass panel next to the front door. We're still in my entranceway. And you look outside there. And you thought, boy, how come I didn't notice this when I came through? There's actually a cliff out in his front yard, and there's a little man sliding down it, trying to hang on by his fingertips. And he's going, there's no ledge. And he's sliding down the cliff. There's no ledge. Can we picture that? Mm -hmm. Sad sight. That's number three. 
Number four. Now you're back in my foyer. And against this back wall, there is a picture there. And what the picture shows is a, a huge fort. A fort is in this portrait. And you can make it whatever kind of fort you want. A medieval castle. It could be a, one of the, the Western, you know, the, uh, the the Western military forts from the from the U.S. So you could have boulders bouncing off it if you want, or arrows, or, or, or bullets, whatever. But there's a fort there at number four. And then number five, on, on the side of my foyer wall there, there's this huge... Uh, no, no, there's, yeah, there, there's this uh, gun rack there at, at the side wall there. And what you see there are two judges. And you know they're in judges because they're wearing their black robes. And there's a left judge and a right judge. And the left judge says something to you. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And the right judge says something, and it doesn't make any sense. You just go, gosh, I don't know what the right judge meant. So you can picture that. I don't know what the right judge meant. All right. And then number six, there's just two more. We're in the center uh, of our foyer there. And you kind of sense there's this something overshadowing you. You have this kind of sense of doom. There's something over your head there. So you say to yourself, what am I standing under? You know, I mean, heard the story, the sword of Damocles, the, the, this, this prince there is hanging under the sword, dangling by a thread. He says, this is what it's like to be a leader. You know, everyone's trying to get you. But anyway, something threatening overhead. And you're saying, what am I standing under? And here's the last one. Seven, there's a chandelier overhead. And what's odd about this chandelier is sitting on top of it is a gigantic wisdom tooth. Mm. This great big wisdom tooth there for some reason. Now, when I do these demos, uh, I point out that repetition is the mother of memory and that these methods are designed so you'll know things backwards and forwards in their exact order. So I'll go quickly if we can just review. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, number seven, we had that wisdom tooth up in the chandelier. Number six, the center of the foyer. You know, what am I standing under? Number five there by the gun rack, the two judges, you don't know what the right judge meant. Number four, we had the fort up on the, the back wall. Number three, we had the guy sliding down saying, there's no ledge. Mm -hmm. uh, number two was the was the, the doormat there with, with your reverend. Reverend is hot rod or is Harley or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And then uh, at the front door, Wonder Woman herself and holding that cute puppy. And we go, ah, okay. So, uh, 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 so I like said last night, a true story, you know, I'm central Illinois. My mom was a farmer, farmer's daughter. And if I said something unusual, it didn't seem to make sense. She'd say, what does that have to do with the price of beans? You know, meaning soybeans. You know? uh -huh. uh, what's that have to do with anything? Well, what have we done? This is a demo I did a few times live a few weeks ago for the, for the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay. So here, here's how it works. Uh, and there's, there's been different terminology throughout time with this. So I'm giving the ones that they're using now in the United States. But the first, at the front door, wonder and, well, awe. and awe, wonder and awe. And the older term was a fear of the Lord, another, how that's also, also known. The second one, the doormat with the, uh, reverend, the, the reverend, reverend, reverend for, for reverence. And that mm -hmm. was also known as, as piety is another one for that. Number three, the no ledge is fairly straightforward for knowledge. 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 Number four, our fort stands for fortitude, fortitude, fortitude. Or, or courage is sometimes. Number five, for the, the right judgment. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's often called now right, uh, right judgment. It used to be called counsel. Sometimes they call it good judgment, but just right judgment, just a little you know, play on words there. And number six, standing under, flip the words around. Understanding. 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 Mm. And seven with uh, the wisdom tooth. tooth. Wisdom. Yeah. yeah just yeah. So so I do like this with the kids. You know, in, in Springfield now they're doing the confirmation like third and fourth graders, 
and the vast majority of them got this. You know, uh-huh. I did a little demo one time, and yeah, hey, you know, I got them down now. And the reason I actually give them in this order because if you go to Isaiah eleven verses one to three, you're going to hear the Spirit of the Lord. You know, came upon him, and you're going to go wisdom and understanding. You're going to work your way from wisdom down to fear of the Lord, or what we call wonder and awe. Now, and some of the great you know church theologians like uh, Saint Gregory the Great did this, Saint Robert Bellarmine. They say the way they're listed in Isaiah is like the coming down from above, the highest gift to the least, wisdom at the height, to the fear of the Lord at the beginning. Because we know in the, the Bible says you know, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So they right. arrange them as a hierarchy. So they say if you arrange them in the other order, it's like we're climbing a spiritual ladder. We're starting with fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Then each of these gifts takes us a rung higher, takes us deeper and deeper into communion with God until we reach wisdom at the end. But anyway, that's just mm. one example of the way you can use a location system and uh, and images to remember whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Well, like for one example, when I first laid out this little foyer that actually has 10 locations, we didn't need them all. I did it for the Ten Commandments. And the reason that gun rack was there over on the right it had a big padlock on it because the fifth commandment is thou shalt not kill. You know, so, so there was some meaning for that. And I will say when I used to do radio programs on this, and I would, I would say, well, this foyer is actually patterned after my own foyer at the time as my wife had it decorated at the time I wrote the book. It's very different now, of course. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, I, say, but I would say, but I do not have a gun rack in my, in my foyer. But one time I, I it's told It's in that, the closet. It's in like, <laughs> the closet. I said that on uh, on Louisiana Catholic Radio, and the guy said, oh, no, there's nothing unusual about having a gun rack in your foyer. <laughs> and then I told that story to... Yeah, Billy's uh, got four. Billy's got four. <laughs> That's right. And then I tell the story to your friends down in Texas, and the guy said, what was unusual was the padlock. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then I go do a talk up in Michigan, and I mean, it's at like this lodge, and the people start kind of laughing because I didn't realize it. Up above me is a fireplace that actually has cross rifles, rifles right over my head. I didn't know it, you know. So just fun little stuff. But anyway, once you form a location system like this, it becomes like a mental notepad. Uh-huh. And in my first book, Memorize the Faith, you go through six rooms, you get 60 locations. So then you can reuse those same locations. Like we do the Ten Commandments there. We go through all the books of the Old Testament, all the books of the New Testament. We go through the mysteries of the rosaries, the virtues, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this, that, and the other thing. So, so when you learn a location system, it's like a mental notepad. And my main use for it is when I do talks. I may, I may lay out 35, 40 points I want to make. And I go through my own house. This one's here. Boom, 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 boom. So I can give that talk, you know, in that exact order. And do you go, you always go from one location to the next, like in the same order? That's right. That's right. So the order is locked in so you know exactly where you are. And there's some other systems like, like in Memorize the Reasons, I did one based on a church. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the oldest memory book we have from first century BC talks about using a house, which I, which I did. And we're all familiar with houses. But St. Albert said in his time, some people will place a church. They'll use churches as their memory systems. So I did that mm-hmm. in Memorize the Reasons. I did a recent book on Stoic philosophy, how to memorize some of their ethical principles. And there's this famous Stoa, this porch that they, that they taught from, that their founder is Zeno. So one of the memory location systems there is an actual representation of the porch. So you go through different parts of that. Nice. So they can be very flexible. What, what you use is your location system. And I tell some people, probably the best location system you can make is one that you know, like your own house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a lot of books coming out. You have three more books coming out uh, this year. One, at least one next year. You just have one coming out by Ascension Press. Um, our friends at Ascension Press. Um, what, what, what's the book on it from Ascension Press? Yeah, now this is this is one. It was kind of a thrill to be asked to write about this topic, though my wife kind of laughed and cracked up when she found this out. This one is about humility. Mm. It's called uh, Humble Strength, the Eye-Opening Benefits of Humility. 
And I told her, they must have figured I needed to do my research and learn, <laughs> learn a little bit about this topic, which I realized, I, boy, I did need to do that. I did need to do that. But yeah, that's on humility. So, you know, being me, I often follow uh, Thomas's guide, uh, but he also comments on these, the classic, the 12 steps of humility from St. Benedict this seven-story mountain of humility that St. Uh, Anselm wrote about. Mm. So I go through things like, like that, you know, in a variety of chapters. Oh, and they also had me look at the modern psychological literature on humility and how that relates to just uh, mo- emotional adjustment, even performance in the work world. What's, you know, what are the benefits of being humble? Realizing, hey, there's things I need to learn. I need to be open to learn. So, so that's the one with Ascension coming out, uh, well, at this point, in July of 2022, real soon. That's awesome. And where can they find uh, some of your other books? Uh, your website? It's, yeah, my website's drvost.com, just drvost.com. And I don't sell them from that site, and they're not all on there, but that would be a starting point. And I have a comment box if people want to contact me. You can probably Google. Oh, yeah, if you Googled... Kevin Vost book. If you do that, you, you'll get them. And I think now there's there's 20-some, 20 20-some. 20 and there's one coming out with Catholic Answers. It's going to be called What is God? It's based on Thomas's 26, first 26 questions in the Summa. And then one for Sophia in the fall I'm excited about called You Are That Temple, A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness that will look at faith and fitness issues. Oh, cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to the Catholic Command Show. It's been, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's given us a lot to, to think about for sure. Well, thanks. Hey, thanks for having me. This is fun. I enjoy your manly den here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Hi, this is Bishop David Condorla of the Diocese of Tulsa in Oklahoma. So let us pray. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence... I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen.